Pray with me. Father, thank you for that reminder that Christ is the only rock on whom we must stand on. And you alone are our refuge. And Father, my desire and and many of your children's desire here present is to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus this morning. And we know that's not going to happen in and of ourselves. And so we ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, would be pleased to work in the heart of your children, to sanctify them through your word, for your word is truth. And Lord, that if anyone here that doesn't know you would be convicted and would find Christ as a pearl of great price, as the only one that's worth keeping and selling everything else. I pray, Father, that it would be Christ and Christ alone whom our hope is found in today and every day. May you be pleased to work through the preaching, uh, through fallible men like myself, but to honor yourself and glorify thy Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. So this morning, for those of you that are joining us, um, we've been going through Acts, studying the book of Acts. It's one of the desires as we start seeing the, the First Testament church in, in operation and uh, working, right, and the Holy Spirit, not the New Testament church, but the Holy Spirit working in and through the disciples and God's people, people coming, Gentiles now coming to Christ. Uh, Gentiles that had no business, right, according to the Jews, had no business. They were not of the faith. I mean, they were supposed to be marginalized and put to the side, and yet, here you see Gentiles coming, the gospel being preached, and people coming by the droves, putting their faith and trust in Christ. And as we've been going through Acts, we find ourselves now in Acts 19. And we started this a couple, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Paul is in Ephesus, very familiar place for many of us. If those of you that are reading your, your Bibles, you know where Ephesus, uh, a letter was written to them. So <clears throat> there's a riot that's going to happen here in, in Ephesus. Now, some of us are familiar with riots. We've seen them, at least on the news. We know what it looks like, whether it's in this country or elsewhere. People riot. It happens in Latin America all the time. People are always rioting about something. But here we're going to see a riot that's going to take place. And riots, and not, not the riots, but in Scripture, we see <clears throat> Scripture and, and the Bible oftentimes can be a mirror. A mirror for us individually, but also a mirror for us as a culture. Right? This is where we get to see. We get to see ourselves in Scripture and, and see, wow, like, this is what's happening. We're going to see that today. As a culture, how do we see that? Like, how do we know whether our culture, I mean, we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, and we talk about everything that, that we hear going on, and then you remember, wow, like, there was Sodom and Gomorrah, and there was cultures that were worse. At least, we think that way. And sometimes we think our culture is way worse than, than they were. And so how do we gauge? How do we see ourselves? Some cultures don't even think there's nothing wrong. We have nothing wrong whatsoever. We're, we're walking and we're, doing, we're living life and, and we keep moving. But Scripture allows us to actually see, it, it serves as a mirror. Now, before we get to that mirror, um, it's important for us to understand the importance of that. And all of you ladies, I would presume, know how important a mirror is to you. Now, of course, the men are like, yeah, my wife. No, you guys are not exempt. Because one of my greatest pet peeves, if you've ever been like, at a business lunch or business dinner, and somebody goes, you know, your teeth. You got, some, you got some food stuck in your teeth. You, you start, no, it's still there. And you're like, 
let me find a mirror ASAP because I don't want to keep talking and have this piece of food sticking out of my out of my mouth. So mirrors are very useful, and that's what we're going to see, and that's how we're going to be able to gauge our culture in 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 the next sermon. But for today, for today, I wanted to us, I want for us to be able to look at the first four verses of Ephesians nineteen, uh, twenty one and through twenty five. All right. The first, these verses in Ephesians, sorry, excuse me, Acts, Acts 19, Acts, I apologize, there's no 19 chapters in in Ephesians, I get it, yes, Um, sorry, Acts, Acts 19, verses 21 through 24, okay, we're going to look at these now, what's interesting here in this, in this portion, and one of the goals that I have for, at least just uh, thinking here in the, in the upcoming family budget here at, at Cornerstone, we present the budget for the church at the beginning of the year, and then middle of the year we kind of go through it again to see where we're at. And one of the things I was talking with, with Victor, as he's the one that handles, one of our deacons that handles the budget is, where do we find ourselves? And a couple years ago we started with this whole lead, L-E-A-D, lead. And the L standing for loving Christ above all else. The E standing for expositing the scriptures. And this year, we want to focus on, and, we'll, and I'll elaborate this at, at that meeting, but the A, application. Applying the scriptures to our lives as God's people. What does that look like? And, and so we want to be able to look at that. And the D, by the way, if you're wondering, is discipling, discipleship. So this year, we're going to look at our application. And here, in Acts 19, some weeks ago, we looked at what does it look like, right? When does, when does the Holy Spirit take residence in a believer, if you remember that sermon? When does the Holy Spirit officially come to a natural believer in that moment of regeneration and say, you are mine, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit? And so we looked at that closely. Today, my hope is to be able to elaborate on that. Okay? Uh, And here's a question for you. How often have you ever looked at Scripture? Just reading through your devotions, which hopefully you do have some form of devotional time with the Lord, um, thought to yourself, as you're reading, Lord, that's me. As I'm reading this passage in Scripture, that's me. Hopefully today. And, and, and again, it comes through various forms, right? It can come through Judas, through Peter. Peter denying the Lord. Right? We think, oh, Peter, yeah, you know, he's the one that's always putting his foot in his mouth. I'm Peter too. I've done that many times. I've denied Christ many times. I stayed quiet when I should have spoken. The publican. The sinner always looking to his left and to his right, but never looking at himself. Right? Looking at the tax collector, looking down. Martha. Busy. David. Moses. Abraham. The list goes on and on. So you can look at Scripture and you can say, that's me. The Lord's speaking to you. Now, here in this morning, we have this passage, which I want to go ahead and read. I will read. Um, the, the, I'm not going to read the entire passage. This right in Ephesus, I'm just going to read all the way up to verse uh, 24. And this is how the text reads in Acts 19. It says, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia, and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent, and having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of uh, of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. 
And this is the reading of God's Word. So I have three points this morning. Okay, so three points. Is, uh, I think uh, Tony's going to have them up there. First point is ministry must depend on the Holy Spirit. Ministry must depend on the Holy Spirit. And secondly, we need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I know there's been a lot of talk of the Holy Spirit, especially through Sunday school. And Victor and I have not in any way uh, corroborated on our notes. I didn't share mine. He didn't share his with me. But what does it look like to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit? And thirdly, the vastness. The vastness of God's mercy and grace to sinners. Okay? So I want you to be able to, to focus on those. So let's look at the first one. Ministry must depend on the Holy Spirit. Right Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit. See, we can glance over that. He says, in the Spirit, to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. See, many times we look at the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, yes, we know the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee, but He's not just our guarantee. The Holy Spirit is more. And the Holy Spirit, I know we're talking, and, and by the way, we're talking about the third person of the Trinity. And sometimes we see the third person, and we say, wow, immediately our minds go to, oh, well, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The third one, right? In that order. No. That is not what the doctrine of the Trinity says. And we're going to look at that here a little bit closely. But when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we immediately, if, if you're in our circles, we immediately tend to kind of come back and say, well, let's not get too charismatic now. We don't want to go to that end of the spectrum. We don't want to start, you know, flailing our arms and doing all this stuff and dancing and next thing we're going to have banners and all that. I get it. But we can't operate out of the spirit of fear. We operate looking at God's Word and let God's Word inform our thinking and our theology. Okay? And so that's what we want to be able to do. So don't, don't be afraid of, of when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit operates. Right? We don't want to deny the Holy Spirit either. That's not what we want to do. He lives, He's present, He's working in you and in me this very moment as you're sitting there as believers. The fact that you don't see Him the way that you may not sense Him, that there's this supernatural experience, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not present. And so, He is working. And I'm referring to Him as a He because He is a He. He's a person, He's not an it. And so, here we have the Holy Spirit. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Well, the role of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness about Jesus. Jesus said that himself in John 16, that he will bear witness about me. John 16. So, I wanted, that is the role, he will bear witness of Jesus. But then we also need to understand that, talking of the doctrine of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are co-eternal. All right? they, are, they are co-eternal, they are co-equal. They do not stand in a one, two, three form, if you will. That's not the way they, they operate. The Holy Spirit has been present even through creation. We see in Genesis 1, 1 through 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the Holy Spirit is present even from creation. Co-eternal. 
There's never, and again, I, if we get into the doctrine of the Trinity, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to pretend that I it because it's hard for me to wrap my mind. I get what it says. I get the, the doctrine. But there's moments that the more you think of it, it's more like my head's going to split. Because there's, for me, humanly speaking, there's never been a moment. I've never seen anything that's always been. Everything that I've seen in my life is, at some point, had a beginning. And so that's where I'm like, God being eternal, Jesus, the Logos, eternal. There's never been a moment where they have, ne- they have ever ceased to exist. They have always been. And that's what's, what's mind-boggling to me. And But one day it'll all be clear. And I get what Paul says. We'll only see in part and we'll only know in part. There's one day when it all hopefully will make sense. But maybe by then we won't really matter as much when we're standing before our Savior. And thirdly, he is our helper. Right? This is where we ended the last sermon. He is our helper. John 16, 14 and 16. And I, referring Jesus speaking these words, says, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And you keep on reading, it says, you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit doesn't just walk alongside of me. The Holy Spirit lives in me, has taken residence in me and in you if you are in Christ. That is what the scripture said. That is what Jesus is saying. And so therefore, the Holy Spirit lives and he does live in us. As believers, it behooves us. It behooves behooves you and it behooves me to depend on Him. To look on Him much more in ministry. We've seen ministries go awry. I've mentioned this before. And throughout the book of Acts, we start seeing the Holy Spirit working. Working in the disciples first at the day of Pentecost. Right? You start seeing what that looks like. Like, wow. I, I sometimes use my imagination. I want to see what would that look like with the Spirit rushing there and all of a sudden people coming to Christ. 3,000. 3,000 in one moment. I mean, it, it's, it's... For me, I can't... That place. Now pointing people where Jesus says, here's the helper. He's going to lead us into truth. And so if we truly believe that the Holy Spirit's role is to help us and you and I admit that we need help, then who, who must we look to for help? The Holy Spirit, our counselor. He's the one that we can look to and we can trust because Jesus would not have said otherwise if he knew it weren't, if it weren't the case. He is going to lead you. He will help you. He will lead you into all truth. Because at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit's also there to do what? To bear witness about Jesus, even in the lives of his children. When we go awry, when we go, when we go wayward. And so, the point of, of application here is, what does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to depend on the Holy Spirit in your life? If we're particularly afraid, then of course, you know, we'll pray and we'll, we'll do X, Y, and Z. And, but the Holy Spirit's there and we can rely on Him. When you read your Bibles, do you just simply open your Bibles and start reading? Or do you pray and ask, Father, help me. I cannot discern things on my own. I cannot read your word and make sense of it in and of my flesh. Unless your spirit, unless the Holy Spirit leads me into the truth that you want me to see here this morning. Or whenever it is that you're doing your your Bible reading. It's a good practice. That's where we need to start. 
Otherwise, you're just doing it in, in and of yourself, and it's an exercise in futility. So take inventory. Look at what does it look like for you to look and depend on the Holy Spirit. Now, allow me to clarify. By depending on the Holy Spirit, I am not talking about you and every... Lord, Father, is it your will that I go here? Should I go to Sedanos or to Publix? I mean, we're not talking about that kind of... Give me that direction. What's your will? Should I buy picanha or churrasco? I don't know. You know, what's more expensive? Use your judgment. Right? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that... But this is where our minds go. Because now we want to go ahead and add... And the Father has already revealed His will to us. He's, he already has. There's no secret about it. You might live your life, and there's many books written on shelves. You can go online to CBD, uh, Christian book distributors, by the way. That doesn't stand for anything else. But um, uh, the Christian book distributors, you can go to Amazon, you can go to any of that, and you'll see, type in will, and you'll get a whole bunch of books. What is God's will for my life? Some will tell you his, his will is for you to be prosperous and, 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 and wealthy and, and, and healthy. Others, you know, who knows what? There's many books, but I can tell you for one, He's already revealed it to us. He has told us to fix your eyes on Christ. Fix your eyes on Him. Keep Christ as your first love. I can guarantee you that if you look back on your life, and those moments where you, you feel like you've left the fold, you're the, you're the one out of the 99 that has gone wandering, right? I know some of you have felt that way. I know I have. You can almost trace it back to the moment where you took your eyes off of Christ. Almost most certainly, at some point, you took your eyes off of your Savior. Because that's what happens to me. I can trace it back, and you probably could too. And interestingly enough, where is Paul now? In Ephesus. In Revelation 2, what is, what is said about Ephesus? They did a lot of things right. But they left their first love. I have this thing against you that you have left your first love. You could be doing all the right things. As a, as a church, we can be doing everything right. We can be moving in the right direction. But if Christ, and, no, and again, this is not just here at Corners, this is for any church that professes to be a church in Christ. You can be going through all the motions, but if you leave your first love, if He ceases to be your first love, you're in trouble. And that is where Christ must remain in our lives as our first love. So, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we must depend on Him. Keep Christ as your first love. Depend on the Holy Spirit. And also be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, which is the second point. Paul writes, After I have been there, Jerusalem, I must also see Rome. See, Paul had the intention to go to Jerusalem, but first kind of making an awkward detour. Because it doesn't make sense, right? Macedonia and Achaia are on the opposite end. If you have the map, and I've, seen, and I've shown you the map before, he's kind of going in the opposite direction to go to Jerusalem. Why would he do that? Well, we get a glimpse here in 1 Corinthians 16, that he was looking to collect gifts, to bring back to Jerusalem, because the Jerusalem church was rather poor. And so he wanted to collect gifts to bring back to them. In 1 Corinthians 16.1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, writing to the Corinthians, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. That is what he's actually hoping that they're going to do now. What's interesting is that Paul had the desire to go to Rome. He had the desire to go to Macedonia. 
He had the desire to go to uh, Achaia and to Jerusalem, but he does something interesting. He sends two helpers. He sends Timothy and Erastus in his stead. Paul could have easily gone, but he chose, he chose otherwise. The Lord provided for him two faithful brothers. We've seen Timothy. Erastus now is coming onto the scene, but Timothy has been with him. Timothy, if you remember back in, in Acts 18, he left them behind. Paul fled Corinth and went to Ephesus. Went with Priscilla and Aquila, if you remember. And he left Timothy behind. Now, at some point, Timothy joins him. We don't know when, but he joins him. The point that he says, you're going to go with with Erastus to uh, Macedonia and to Achaia. And, he, and in regards to Erastus, we don't know if this is the same Erastus that Paul mentions in, in Romans 16. We don't know, but for our purposes here, it's Erastus. Paul and Erastus, uh, Timothy and Erastus. And Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, in, in that same one that I just mentioned in 1 Corinthians 16, consider verses 3, 8, and 10. And, and this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He's saying, And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has been opened to me. Has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Here you see what it looks for Paul. He's being sensitive. He's in the Spirit. He's being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He had a heart to go. If there's anyone, I mean, Paul, we see it all over and over again, that same repetitive. He had a heart to go this way, to go that way. He wants to build the churches in Galatia and in Asia. But he's saying, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay because a door has been opened for me. And the Lord had put it already on his heart to visit Rome as well. Right? It says it in the, in the text. He had a heart to go to Rome. And there's many things that the Lord oftentimes impresses upon us that puts on our hearts to do X, Y, and Z. But there's a time for it. And we, and, and we have to make, and allow me to make a comment here. You love it. Ministry is not a one-man show. It never has been and never will be. Ministry is about one man, but it's not a one-man show. It is about the God-man, the Lord Jesus, the one who came to reconcile us to the Father through His death, through His resurrection. This is what ministry is about. That is the gospel message that we live to proclaim from this pulpit. And I hope, if, and I know some visitors here, that in your home churches, that is the message, Christ and the gospel that that's the message that's being proclaimed. But it's not going to happen through one man. And we've seen many churches who relied only on one man. Right? And the moment that one man goes out, what happens? Because ministry wasn't never, was never intended to be that way. We have, we're co-laborers. What does co-labor mean? There's others laboring with me. Co-laborers means that you should be able to look to the sides and see other people laboring with you. I'm thankful that I, here in this pulpit, I have other men, faithful men, that are able to preach and teach. Praise the Lord for that. Some of you have that in your own churches. Wherever you, wherever you, and again, we need to desire that, but remember that. It's not a one-man show. 
But looking back at Paul, he's preaching that message, that gospel message. And he's looking, this Jewish rabbi who turned to Christ as his only hope for salvation, no longer looking to the law, no longer looking to the sacrifices, wants and desires faithful brothers. He's building them up and he has one in Timothy. And now we see Erastus. Paul wasn't saying, hey, I'm the only one that the Lord called to, to ministry. I, I was an apostle called by God. He, there are times when he says it. This is my credentials. I am an apostle called by God, but I'm also laboring to build other men up. For this I toil. For this I toil. My own testimony. Allow me to, if, if I may for a second here. I remember years ago. I think we had just come to Cornerstone in 2009 or something like that. And they're like, hey, I think Edwin, actually, someone came, or it might not be Edwin, but it, might, it was someone. It's like, hey, we have some, con- some tickets to the Lingonier Conference in Orlando. You want to go? Uh, someone was going, and they can't make it, so give it to my wife and my, and we went. Like, sure, why not, you know? And there, of course, between the, the, the conference uh, speakers and the you know, whatever um, panel uh, discussions, uh, we ended up going to the bookstore. And I remember seeing a book there on, on ministry, and preaching and, and, and pastoring. And, and I remember at that moment, I'm like, this is weird because like, I've never inclined myself to ministry in any way. But at that moment, I remember welling up and just saying, Lord, if this is your will, then you'll make it, you'll make it, you'll make it so. But I didn't start pursuing seminary. I didn't start pursuing, not saying that anyone that goes to seminary, there's other people that have that clear call and that's fine. But for me, I had to wait, and it was years, years. And I never sought to be a pastor. I never did. It was the heart of that Lord. And he reminded me later on, remember that day. You remember that day? I had no clue what that meant. But I just knew that the Lord, there was a time and a place for it. I could have acted clearly upon my, Lord, what are you showing me? I'm being moved. I'm crying. I mean, clearly this means something. I would never desire such a thing. This sinner would never desire such a, such a, a godly ministry, right? No. That's not the way. I, I waited and I said, Lord, if this is your will, you'll make it so. So we have to be careful. What am I trying to say with this? That there's a caveat. We have to make, yes, as we're trying to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, we also have to be careful. And what I mean by that is, when we're making serious decisions, commit yourself. Commit yourself to prayer and to reading your Bible. That is what you have to do. If you want a formula, there you have it. Commit yourself to prayer and to reading God's Word. Because whenever you're coming to a serious decision, and by the way, you can say, I'm reading God's Word. And you can find a scripture or verse and it might not necessarily apply. There's been people that have said, oh, you know, they're, they're fornicating premarital, getting in, in premarital activities. You know what I mean? Oh, but the Lord says, the Bible says it's better to, to marry than to burn with passion in your loins, right? No, repent first. You repent and you seek the Lord. That doesn't necessarily mean, well, I can't control myself, therefore I must marry. Because it t- it's a combination of both. It's not one or the other. It's both prayer and reading God's Word and discerning and leading upon Him. Lord, what does this mean? Make, make it alive to me. One who has been extremely helpful, again, because 
Precisely, this is not about you, it's about Christ. About Him abiding in you and you abiding in Him. That's what it means to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I want to abide in you, Lord, as you abide in me. Seeking Him above all else. You are my first love. I don't want to seek anything else. I don't even want to seek the thing that I'm praying about. I want you to be my my goal. I want you to be my priority. One that's been extremely helpful for me, and some of you are familiar with George Mueller. You know who George Mueller is. Some of you know who he is. Started many orphanages in Bristol, England. Died with X amount of money. I've covered him before in Sunday school. Died with sense to his name. But in his book, Answers to Prayer, this is what he writes. And he writes six things. I'm only going to share three with you. This is what he says. I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is just here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. When one is truly in this state, it is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. Having done this, I do not leave the result to feeling or simple impression. If so, I make myself liable to great delusions. I see the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open to great delusions also. If the Holy Ghost guides us at all, He will do it according to the Scriptures and never contrary to them. Beloved, that is what it looks like to depend, to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in prayer and in reading your Bible. But if you're not reading your Bible, then how do you even know? And I'm not even talking about, Lord, should I take this job or not? Show me a verse. The Lord will give you the peace that surpasses all understanding in those moments. But I can't just simply rely on the peace. I want to make sure, Lord, and I pray, and I pray again, and I pray with my wife, and many times even her, like, we will have a great decision. Pray with me. Pray together. Form that a habit, but be in your word. Be in the, God, be in, in the word of the Lord. And, and again, as we look, we, have, we can't just simply glass over the vastness of God's mercy and grace in the following verses. And about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines uh, of Artemis, who was the goddess of Ephesus, brought no little business to the craftsmen. See, we all have a temptation here, beloved. We all have a temptation to look down on other sinners, don't we? You look down on Demetrius? I did. Because immediately as you start reading the entire passage, saying this guy is just wreaking havoc. I mean, look what he started. Look what he started. An entire riot because of the silvermiths, because of the laborers. I look at the same way as if, at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But they know the Old Testament. These guys are teachers and you don't know these things? Of course, I, I think I'm Jesus, right? You're a teacher of the law and you don't know these things? I didn't know either. 
If I know what I know today, it's only by the grace of the Lord. If you know what you know today, it's by His grace and His mercy. Not because you were more special, not because you have more neurons. That are, yeah, maybe some of you have been, have been blessed with that ability to go to seminary and to understand theological truths that, that fly over my head. Praise the Lord for that. Or your co-workers or your boss, you look around and you say, how is this guy getting drunk every day and not going to his family? Or you and your classmates, you look at your classmates, how are they cheating? How can they be so defined? How can they cut corners so often? And your parents, you look down on your children. How can these children not make morally perfect choices all the time? How can, what were you thinking? What were you thinking when you did that? I get it, because I do it. And now they're looking at me like, oh yeah, he does. (laughs) Because I lose perspective. I lose perspective that that is exactly me. And the Lord is patient and He's kind with us. Demetrius should have been smitten by God. Truth be told. He is erecting shrines for another deity. Violation of the first commandment. Right then and there. But you know who also has erected shrines for other deities? Me. And I've even communicated those idols to others. And God didn't smite me. God didn't crush me. He didn't crush you either. We forget that we were once like Him. And so as I'm reading Him, I'm grateful that God didn't pull the plug on me when I was dead in my sin and in my trespasses. Be grateful that the Lord wasn't done with you in those moments when He had all the right to be done with you. And He didn't. And that ought to produce in us a humility. That when you read Demetrius, or you read the conversion of Paul, or you read Peter about Peter denying Christ, you can be humbled and say, that is me. That is exactly me. I'm looking into a mirror. The vastness of God's grace and His mercy toward us. How, do you, how does that mercy and grace that God has shown to you translate to you in everyday life? Do you look around and do you find people that you can pray for? Co-workers, bosses, your children. That you can go ahead and say, Lord, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't be any better than where they are right now. But do the same work that you did in me and them. Bring people. You Be pleased to use me. But if not, then put other people in the way of that employee, of that worker, of whoever it may be of that family member. Because that is what it means to rely on the Spirit, to depend on the Spirit, to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. As you are. Beloved, I can tell you, you want to create, all of us want to look at the fruit. All of us want to bear fruit, right? All of us want to bear fruit. The Bible tells us, bear good fruit. No tree is ever going to bear bad fruit and no bad tree is ever going to bear good fruit. Jesus tells us that. But the fruit is a byproduct of the tree. And the the tree is a byproduct of a seed. And someone had to plant that. Someone had to harvest that. Just look back 
And then you realize it was the Lord all along. Because the fruit belongs to Him. It was never mine to begin with. The very fruit of righteousness that I'm able to produce, if any, will one day, when I see Him, Lord, it was all you to begin with. And so, beloved, look to Christ. Look as you keep Christ as your first love. Rely on His Holy Spirit. Rely on His Holy Spirit. Rely and depend on Be sensitive, but be in your Bibles. Be in the Word. Read it. Like Psalm 1 says, right? Be like that tree that's planted by streams of water. In right time you will yield fruit. For you have to be planted by living water. Otherwise you will find yourself sitting in the seat of scoffers. And so beloved, that is my encouragement for you this morning. Look to Him. Rely on Him. Apply the Word to your lives. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know Christ, I don't know who you are, I pray that today you would come to know the living God. The one that shed His blood for sinners like you and like me. I may be in Christ today, but I'm still a sinner saved by grace. The Lord is sanctifying me. He's sanctifying you. And so if you're not in Christ, I pray that you would come to know Him. Ask. Seek. People are going to come from every... Just reading uh, some blog posts. You know, last night, people are going to come to every different type of conclusion. At the end of the day, it's the Lord's work. It's His work of grace and of mercy in your life. And I pray that you would come to know Him and experience the living Christ today. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray that you take your word and just, as the Lord Jesus said when he was being tempted, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Lord, we want to be your people that do that. We don't want to rely on ourselves, but for that we need you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you sent us a helper to lead us into all truth, to lead us to you when we go wayward, when we take our eyes off of you to point us back to you. And so, Father, I ask that you would do that work in your children, and, in the, and especially in those that don't know you. Only the Holy Spirit can, can convict them of sin and of unrighteousness. And I pray that today they wouldn't run away from that conviction, but run to Christ as your only hope. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.